Hello and welcome to Digital Talk Podcast, the podcast where we share stories with the wider community of how digital technology and telecoms can do good. Join me, Ian Ginn. And me, Frankie Spagnolo, on our discovery series as we talk to our guests and find out about themselves, what motivates them, and helps celebrate their projects and achievements. On today's episode, I will be concluding my interview with co-host Ian Ginn. This is part two of a two-part podcast. So if you haven't already listened to part one, make sure to go back and find out a bit more, including why he is an expert with a chainsaw and what skateboarding has to do with it all. We have to kick off the second start of the second half of the questions with, you know, a doozy like this one. If you were given the opportunity to colonize Mars, but could never return to Earth, would you take it? Why or why not? Even though I'm someone who likes technology, I'm not really a great fan of the whole idea of space travel from the perspective of if humanity does not realize we're on the one spaceship we have and don't look after it, we're in trouble. <laughs> That's a good and that is that. where our focus needs to be. We've still got, you know, lots of people who are, you know, hungry or let's say there are problems in the, on this earth where our energy and attention needs to be spent. Right. Also, to what I've heard about Mars as a planet, I mean, it's like, I don't know, going to the Sahara Desert or worse. Temperatures are awful. I can't actually think of something much worse. So I guess my answer to that is no, not me. If you want to go, that's fine. But again, we have to focus on what we've got in front of us. And that's the one spaceship we've got, which is us. So after hearing your answer, I want to just note the right to change my answer to this question. (laughs) You're off. You want to give it For many reasons. Yeah, great answer. Okay. So what is the one piece of outdated technology you're oddly nostalgic for? And give us the context or the story behind that. So the technology I'm nostalgic about is the milk float, which the milkman used to deliver milk. I first came across it as a novelty in the 1970s. It was a novelty for me because at the time I was living in Germany. So you put out in the evening before what milk you needed. The milk would deliver it the next morning about five o'clock. All very environmentally friendly. The bottles were we wash washable glass bottles with a silver top indicating which, which type of milk it was. He'd take the empties the next day, just be a, a circular economy that way. The vehicle itself was electric motor. Looks a bit like a tuk-tuk from a build perspective, so quite lightweight driving experience like a golf buggy. I think that it'd be great to see these things back as we have too many people visiting our houses, creating too much pollution on a daily basis. Why couldn't the milkman, which you also did then, by the way, delivered essentials like bread and other things, but extend it to also parcels and letters. So you'd have then your friendly milkman who 
delivers various things to you on a daily basis. It also acts as a sort of early warning system if people aren't well, because of course, if you haven't taken in your milk the next morning or two days in a row, the milkman might go, well, hang on, are they there? Are they not there? Are they well? So it can knock on the door. There's a social aspect of people interacting with each other and knowing their milkman. It'd be really nice to see that coming back. That's what I vote for nostalgically as, as a technology which we had in the past, which I believe could have a bright future. What's one technological advancement you're eagerly anticipating in the next decade? How do you want it to change our day-to-day lives? That's an interesting question because I think it has multiple facets. But it does, the question is put in a way about day-to-day life. So it's sort of my life. Where I am now, I'm in my mid-50s. Ten years' time, I'll be in my mid-60s. I'd like to think that there are, I don't know, like home robot ideas. I like that idea that can assist assisted living robots, which can help with assisted living and make that easier. I think I think that's a piece of technology. And beyond that, there's like which is maybe you know medicine side as well, making people's lives easier. You know, again, it's being a bit selfish regarding to my age group, but I think there are lots of people when you get older and you just you when you when you realize it yourself, there are lots of I think something you mentioned about people loneliness and people struggle with it. So I think I think that would be good. I think places like Japan are quite advanced in in that because they've got an aging demography and they they are yeah those sort of things i'm also like i know pets i mean i think you coming back to ai and that and training it i think you will get these sort of robot pets which are most likely as good as the real thing but you maybe don't have to feed them other than juice them up every day but actually if you like i have a in my home i've got a, a lawnmower which mows itself and charges itself so Cool. That's a nice piece of kit. So I imagine the pet as well will just go and charge itself when it runs out of juice. So I think those sort of things would be good. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what it takes. Yeah, I think some of those it. were very practical, you know, and, and I think that that elderly it has a huge you know, audience for that, you know, and so is pet ownership, right? And people, the crossover of people who use pets for emotional therapy and what Mm. emotional therapy dogs do in retirement homes. I mean, yeah, so that's very interesting. So we always talk about the good. This is a little bit about the flip side. Can you tell us a time when a technological failure turned into a valuable learning experience for you? I don't know if I've ever really sort of confessed this to, to anyone previously. So might as well just go out and go. tell the world. <laughs> so I was in my early, my first job, I was a quality manager of a company and we had to write manuals. ISO 9000 means that you have to write quality manuals for the company. I guess still, you know, computers, when was this we're talking about? Late 80s, I know, 92, I guess it was exactly, to be honest. But still, computers were still, you know, not the ones that we have today. And floppy disk, I don't know if that's something you remember, the floppy disk in the computers. And uh, so I'd put the manuals all on floppy disks. So each chapter was a floppy disk, as you can imagine it, because it only had 3.5 megabytes or something at the time. Wild. And uh, <laughs> somehow they got, so the, one of my colleagues has said to me, and this is the technological failure, he said, the hard disk is safer than the floppy disk. But I like the floppy disk because I could w- walk around with it, whereas the hard disk is somewhere 
that's in the computer. Anyway, point being that the information got corrupted on the floppy disk. So I lost like no. months of work. Yeah. And so I then went to the IT guy and said, can you recover this? He managed to recover it, oh. right? And then it gets worse. So there's a good file and a bad file. And for some reason, don't ask me why, I told him to actually delete the good files, which I thought were the bad files. So I really did, you know, doubly bad. So there you go. Learning lesson there. And then now at home, for example, whatever, I tend to have backups of backups. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Wow. No fun. What's a piece of technology from a science fiction movie or book that you wish existed today? And how would you use it or we use it? Now, I said earlier on that I'm not a great one for space travel, but in my youth, one of the great TV programs was Star Trek. Star Trek, yeah. And uh, I love the idea of Beam Me Up Scotty. You know? <laughs> totally. So, and I think coming back to where we are environmentally and the rest of it, is and I do predict this in the future. I think humanity, humans will travel a lot less. We will be forced to. But on the same time, because of technology, we will somehow be able to superimpose ourselves in another location. So we can either bring the other location to us and that experience to us. So we can in our current location experience it or on the other side other people can experience us because we can somehow get there so it's along those lines of beaming up scotty i like that idea i mean the idea to be honest does anyone really enjoy being on a plane for eight 12 hours with someone snoring next to you or no. some child or whatever i no. mean come on that right more to <laughs> i'm all that i'm in line for beam me up scotty for sure <laughs> so so i think that sort of technology is is what i'd i think that's cool particularly if you could do it from your mobile phone right or whatever it is maybe it's an <laughs> apple invention yet to be done. and we'll, we'll we'll take credit for it we'll sue them if they do it without our i wonder how much being. that would reduce the crime rates because you'd be able to get out of a situation ah also you just we also gave me the idea that police could get there more quickly All the everyone could be hopping around yeah. <laughs> but i guess you get a digital twin right as well so you automatically could also uh. be in multiple places you see but then we're coming to i think the world of i don't know if you follow what app abba have done right because they've become ageless because of the avatars so they've actually got stage show here in the uk now mm. which i think they're going to move around as well my, my brother's a huge abba fan by the way okay and basically it's a show now where they are basically in the 1970s so when they were young adults or whatever you know in their prime if you like and you can go and watch the show and you know people are prepared to go and you know, it seems to come that. across as very real. I haven't been to it yet, but if you're in London, I think that's very cool. something worth uh, going to. I'd have to take Helen, and I don't know if you have seen Loki, the Disney series. <laughs> if you haven't and you're interested in, you know, multi-universe quantum jumping, how the multiverse is all linked together, this is in, in my opinion, the most compelling way of it <laughs> existing. But they have this little thing that, that everybody would have to have to do the jumping, right, if we beamed ourselves up. And it had a lock, right? So the authorities would be able to lock that, and then you wouldn't be able to do the beam me up thing. And therefore, the cops getting faster to the crimes would have, well, they wouldn't know who it was at the crimes. Mm. I guess it's only after, anyway, we'll leave this, this beam me, we'll, we'll take our, trying to create the beam me up Scotty technology <laughs> offline. <laughs> okay. 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 Next question. Okay. So we are in the middle of all of this AI hype right now. How has your 
interaction with it so far been? And is there a moment where it's already had an impact or a significant difference in your life? I'm going to change my answer. So not as directly as you might think, but in a way, very directly. So I listened to a few weeks ago, LDL event in Munich was held. And there's a professor there who was speaking about AI as a technology. And one of the things he said, which is very interesting about using, let's say, information and information management related to the population. So being able to influence people is one of the things that's already been used for for quite some time. People maybe know, have heard of a company called Cambridge Analytica, who were involved with the Brexit election here in the UK. And there are graphs which show that people were influenced and they're able to the first time do one-to-one marketing on Facebook, giving people called Facebook, I guess called No Meta, and influencing them. And the key thing that he said was in his, and he's not, he wasn't referring to Brexit or Cambridge Analytica directly, but he was saying about political influence mm. and that you can, from let's say, yeah, pound of flesh or you know, return on investment, advertising or influencing people and making them dislike something or vote against something is the more effective than trying to spend money on trying to gain people's support for something. So that's what we're seeing. And you see it more and more. And I think it's got the world where it is right now, where people are being basically put against each other, if you like. Differences are uh, are being shown and exacerbated, if you like. And therefore, we also had an election here after that, 2019 in the UK, where there was a we have a Labour Party, which is sort of more left-wing, and Conservative Party, which is more right-wing. And a guy called Boris Johnson, I think is pretty infamous worldwide, was our Prime Minister. God knows how we did that, but it sounds like America's not too far behind with its uh, our friend Trump. So those sort of people should never really get the highest office. If that's the best a country has to offer, then a country has to ask itself. But the thing is that when you ask a lot of voters in that 2019 election, did you vote for Boris Johnson? And the answer is no. What we didn't want is the other guy got in. So in that sense, American and UK politics is very similar in the sense you have two major parties. So they're the ones that sort of take the votes. So I think I've been heavily influenced by AI and my life has been affected because I, as far as I'm concerned, I've lost my rights to be a European citizen, which previously was a was a given and I expected to be the rest of my life. So yes, I am obviously Britain is part of Europe, but there are 27, 28 countries, citizens who have more rights than I do now. And I cannot, as a normal British citizen, just travel and do what I want in Europe anymore. And I do not forgive those people that did that. Yeah, it's tragic. And it, I re- it's really hard to understand. I agree with you. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Because yeah. it is so, a loss. So I think I think yeah. it can yeah. be used to, to answer your question. It can be used for good, but I think we humans need to you need to avoid the situation of trusting it. Okay, now we're coming to sustainability, right? So in the realm of sustainability, what tech innovation do you think holds the most promise for creating a greener planet? So um, I think there's the one that springs to mind. I, I'll give, I'm going to give a multi so here. Things like carbon capture sound, sound pretty good because they've, they've given that a lot of credence in the sense of if, if carbon is one of the, the bigger problems. But 
I, I think overall, though, we need to look at humanity as we are part of the solution, but also part of the problem. It cannot just be assumed. We have to maybe go back to more like the Red Indians did and realize that they're part of nature and not the rulers of nature. And therefore, we'll have to self-regulate. And I think the answer to that is education. And those countries where education is more advanced, I think the population's quite good at self-regulating. Younger people aren't necessarily, it's not their top priority in these sort of richer countries to have, let's say, children. And they realise that it's not just a question of more is better. So I think we need to find, I don't know what the number is of how many humans can really survive on this wonderful creation called Earth, but I think education is is key. Hopefully also some clever people will come out of that who have the answers to this this big question. So there you go, multi-layered, multifaceted sort of answer. Maybe I should be a politician because I haven't answered it. And I know I couldn't be a politician because I did the one thing a politician can never do, which is question humanity. <laughs> well, I love your answer. I I would vote for you. I I really think what you were saying there I was talking with a colleague of mine, Mike Miller, who might actually join us on our panel about exactly that in the population growth and the impacts that are coming from, you know, this sort of self-regulating that you were talking about and I think you know, there's a lot to what you just said, even though you, there you don't there's not an answer, right? That's still the truth of where we are today, and really, you know, what is mm. like you said, what we're hoping mm. to discover, mm. even in this series. So, how do you define innovation? Will it always be linked to technology or? You know, how, what does it mean and how do you think about innovation? So I see innovation as an abstract concept, which can be applied to several things. And when I say things, I'm also thinking of processes. I mean, you get the likes of McDonald's, who I consider, and and my background being quality management. Actually, people would question, does McDonald's provide quality food? In the abstract way of looking at quality, the answer is yes, because they are able, one of the few companies who are able to provide a cheeseburger, which pretty much tastes the same in the US as it does in Europe or in, in Japan, for example. So Quality is consistency in that area. But so, in a, so that's a process. That's actually a process innovation, innovation of yeah. how do you yeah. optimize it. You know, Amazon, we also have, we see the processes there. So there are different, doesn't have to be always physical in my mind is what right. I'm trying to get right. to there. But the other also, I've always liked the innovation. The one innovations I like is simplification. Uh, innovation can also making things simpler. and Zipper. But it's often building or let's say taking what, I mean, innovation in its simplest form is taking what's what you want to achieve and making it better yeah. for a particular user group or whatever. So it's it's achieving something in a better way, which wasn't obvious necessarily either. Obviously, if it was obvious, you wouldn't it wouldn't have happened. But the innovation is is that you're able to streamline it, make it better, make it simpler. So I think it has lots of facets to it. So the answer is no. It does not always have to be technology. Yeah, technology is obviously got a major part to do with innovation. Well, let's say good technology should be innovative. <laughs> what do you think? is the most significant technological advancement in all of history. 
I'm going to say the microscope. Great answer. <laughs> and the reason is, is without the microscope, we would not know that there are, you know, things that we cannot see but are alive which affect us. And therefore, like all of medical science and that is based on, on, on that sort of stuff. So we would most likely, with the Black Death and other things, which happened, I think, before the microscope, but it's sort of like that curiosity which that enabled and that knowledge, I would say, was certainly one of them. I mean, there are other ones, of course, and if we are mainly talking about like mobile, I, I'd say things like inventing the... The mobile phone, I actually went to the place so near Bologna where Marconi, who's the father of mobile, or at least one of the fathers of mobile, was born his house last year at an event which was hosted by Athenet. So thank you for that. Fantastic event about 5G and private 5G and how it can be used. So it was really good to go back to the birthplace there. And yeah, so I think he was able to, not dissimilar to what you were saying about electricity, it was like something you can't see and you can't touch. Incredible that sort of ability to to say, I know there's something there, I'm going to find it, I'm going to try and pull it out of the ether. I mean, that that that's incredible thinking as well. So um, there you go, microscope clo followed closely by the mobile technology yay microscope i think that's a great answer so to wrap us up and to weigh in on the most important question are you apple or android well you say apple android the question is android is to me belongs to to google right i believe though on the one side google have let's say packaged it in such a way that it is not mainstream google it's like can be used by third parties etc that is the basis to most smartphones if you like and and other smart devices that that's a double-edged sword because it's an operating system which is then as i say used by lots of people and, I, and maybe you correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here but you know google's baseline business model and i remember this at college and and different conferences people told me is that if you don't pay for something then you're the product. So Android and Google have this, you know, policy of not charging or haven't done in lots of ways. So you are the product. That means they're using information. Again, that's a whole nother kettle of fish we have. Whereas the world of right, Apple, I mean... and I remember that being announced by Apple years ago, is that they say, you're going to pay us money, but we're going to protect your data. That is their philosophy around the user. And to me from two perspectives one is yes i i'm happy to pay for someone to protect my data and have that as their uh, mantra or let's say their mission statement rather than someone who says i'm gonna actually use your data it's you know you get my services for free so i, I feel better more in control that way or at least theoretically i mean it's notionally i guess rather than anything else I'm sure if those worlds have not changed over time and the other thing which makes apple particularly strong for me is that there's a you know, because they run actually now, in particular in the last few years, they've built their own chipsets as well, M1, M2, but also the whole devices. Yep. So they're actually in charge of the whole ecosystem. So the device, the hardware, the software all comes from one place. They tend to make it work. I think that, you know, you can like it or not, but fundamentally, I, I'd recently had a, a Mac, which 
2013 I bought and ran until I think last year. So like over 10 years of or 10 years of use. And I actually only had to get rid of it because supposedly the late, latest versions of, of the OS, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't load or wouldn't work properly. And there's some features that I wanted, but for 10 years, the thing had not been a problem. Whereas there's another brand, which you haven't mentioned yet, also known for providing software on devices who had let uh-huh. me down a number of times but that also has the game to do with this this point of the hardware being different to the software provider and trying to get those things to work which is never so straightforward so i like apples well we are at the end of our questions 20 you did it you made it i hope that you guys have enjoyed finding out some more about Ian and myself over the past few episodes. And Ian, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for all the interesting questions. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our new podcast. If you have any feedback from today's episode or know of any stories to be told involving digital technology in telecoms doing good, then please do let us know via email feedback at digiteltalk.com. Also feel free to send us a message on LinkedIn. It'd be great to hear from you. Before we go, if you've enjoyed today's episode and would like to support the podcast, then don't forget to give us a follow and hit the notification bell so you never miss an episode. Also, if you'd like to leave us a review or share it with your colleagues, it really helps us on the channel. I hope you can tune into our next episode where we're delighted to be joined by Sean Collins, the founder of analyst and advisory firm CCS Insights and head judge of the GSMA Glomo Awards. Thanks so much for being a part of our audience today. And hopefully you'll join us next time. That's all we've got time for. So it's goodbye from me. And that's goodbye from him. Bye Bye for for now. now.